Coming up, why are most people not living the life that they really want to live? We'll unpack that. And then Michael Bloomberg, back in the news about remote employees and if they're golfing or working. We'll unpack it. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in other areas of your life. I'm Ken. This is the Ken Coleman Show. All right. Uh, I posted something on uh, Instagram a few days ago uh, that hit a nerve and it took off uh, in a very positive way. Sometimes I post things that, you know, provoke people to anger with just common sense. But uh, this was uh, just a note I've been reading and, and I'm sitting in my house early one morning and uh and i typed out this thought just to encourage people and so i want to dive deeper into what i said and why i said it and why i believe it took off so here was or here is the the post the sad reality is that most people never live the life they want because they're more comfortable doing what it takes to fit in than doing what it takes to stand out we care too much about the approval of people who couldn't care less about our dreams. You are different. That's a good thing. Start acting like it. It has been shared thousands and thousands of times. It's still going. And it has really hit a nerve. Because I think it has given people permission. Permission to live the life they desire. See, the thing that's holding you and I back from living the life that we want is ultimately comfort and conformity. You could say comfortable with conforming. That's good news and bad news. It's good news and bad news because you're the problem and the solution. Living your life according to the standards of the crowd will never never allow you to truly be unique, to spark that desire in you to be who you've always wanted to be, and then to fan that flame so that you make a difference. I love uh, the story of Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver. Now, Tom Seaver was known for his time with the Mets, and he went on to play with other clubs, but he was considered, and still is to this day, one of the greatest right-handed power pitchers of all time. He won 311 games for four major league teams. And he was so committed to making that unique contribution with his gift of being able to throw a baseball well, to throw a baseball fast, uh, that he was maniacal in protecting the gift so he could use the gift. This is what he said. The best pitcher I could possibly be day after day, year after year, that is my goal. And he turned it into an entire lifestyle. In other words, he lived a life that was built around his gifting and his desire to use the gift. This is what he said. Pitching determines what I eat, when I go to bed, what I do when I'm awake. It determines how I spend my life When I'm not pitching, if it means I've got to come to Florida but can't get a tan because I might get a burn that would keep me from throwing the ball for a few days, then I never go shirtless in the sun. Now, that's commitment 
to truly be who he is and then alter his entire life around that. Can you hear what some of the media must have said? How about his friends making fun of him? How about his family or people on the beach going, what's wrong with this clown? It's 100 degrees out here and he's got a long sleeve shirt on. Turns out he was a trendsetter because now I see everybody wearing those sunproof shirts. I've got a few myself. You're different. What I said in that post is, you're different. Start acting like it. You've been created to make a contribution through the world of work. You've been created to make a contribution in your relationships. But that contribution is unique to you. And so when I said to the audience, when I typed it out, start acting like it, I think what happened was, they didn't need my permission, but I think it was the nudge that people read and they said, you know what? I'm going to start or I'm going to keep marching to my own drumbeat. There's plenty of drumbeats out there. And as I've said many times, I'll say again, every one of us has been created uniquely. We have talent, things that we do very well. It's it's always been a natural ease and excellence to it. And if we craft and practice, we can truly become great in our unique way. That's what we do best. Then there's our heart, what we love, work that we love, a role, a task that we look forward to, that we lose track of time when we're in the middle of it. And then there are results that motivate us, that get us out of bed early. And once you get to the realization that that is in fact true of you, then you truly get it. You truly get it. So the reason that I share all this is because I want to make sure that you understand that if you have one shot at this life, and you do, you have one shot, you will regret. Now look, will the world stop turning if you don't do this thing that you were created to do? No, but there will be people who miss out on what you have to offer. And so that's what I want you to understand. But it is not just about those people. It's about you living that life to where you realize I made a difference for those people, for those people. And that's what you've got to understand. That's the key. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and be filled with regret because you look back and go, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I should have tried this. I should have said that. We know from research from hospice nurses that one of the top five regrets of the dying is that they did not live the life that was true to who they were, that they truly wanted to live. Now, I think we'll all be there with regrets, but how about we get to the end of the journey and we have more moments of reminiscing? So if you want to avoid regret later on in life, it starts today. By truly leaning into your uniqueness, what you do well, what you love to do, and the results that fire you up. And make sure that that informs how you live in every area of your life. Every area of your life. I mean, this should be like Tom Seaver uh, began to work his entire schedule, his habits, everything around that. I mean, this is what you should be saying yes to. This is how I want to live my life professionally. And this is what I'm willing to do to get there. You should be asking, this is 
uh, how do I want to live my life relationally? And what am I willing to do to do that? And then you need to be asking yourself, what do I want my life to look like as I put it all together? The relational, the professional, the financial, the physical, the emotional. What do I want my life to look like? What happens is, is we humans are so great at living in the moment. But if we're not careful, and we should live in the moment, but those moments should be shaped not by the temporary or the now. They should be shaped by the next and the legacy we want to live. That allows us to say yes to the right things, no to the wrong things. It allows us to spend each day making progress in an area of our life. And again, this is beyond professional. This is in any area of your life. And, and so that post uh, hit a nerve because I think we live in a world more than ever now where we are reminded by what everybody else has, who everybody loves, what they buy, where they vacation, what they look like. I mean, you just pick it. We see it. We see it everywhere. And so I want to make sure that you understand that you got one shot around this orb and you better make it count and you better make it count in how you were created because that is what is going to set you up to get to the end of your life and say, this was a good run. I did well. And I made the difference that I want to make. This is the Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out, and it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, if you are enjoying the program and it is helping you in any way, would you help me? By spreading the word. You can do that if you are on YouTube enjoying the program uh, by liking the video. That's a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel and share with just one click of a button. Same thing on your favorite podcast app. Give us a follow, a five-star review, and share as well. And I would very much appreciate it. Okay, so Michael Bloomberg, who owns Bloomberg TV, former mayor of New York, uh, is back in the news. And boy, oh boy. He's going to get the boomer label if he's not careful. Uh, the youngsters uh, aren't going to like this, but he's back. Uh, 
He was uh, recently uh, on CBS and, and, and contributing via an interview. And uh, this is what he said about uh, calling for an end to remote work. And this tension is still there. And so this is what he said. He said, I will say uh, we are paying our employees for five days a week of work. And he goes on to say, now, if you think that those can be done at home, uh, I don't know. But every golf course that I've heard about in the last three years has had record summers. Okay, it's funny, but it's tragic. So is he, is this a hunch? Or is he right? Well, folks, be careful how you attack the billionaires when they go off, because sometimes they're right. And this is, this is, he's right. A March study by Stanford University researchers found that remote work powered a huge boom in golfing, with visits to golf courses surging on weekdays and mid-afternoons compared to pre-pandemic times. What else do you need to know? What else do you need to know? Uh, in another Stanford survey, Employees reported that they felt they were 7.4% more productive working from home, but managers said they believed employees were 3.5% less productive and working remotely. All right, so let's unpack these two pieces of data. Look, if people are working from home, you can't see them and monitor them completely. Now, some companies have tried to do this. Remember the lady that got laid off because she got up from her computer in her own kitchen to get some pasta? Uh, that was bad. Uh, and I, I thought that was ridiculous. So if you're not monitoring folks like that, well, then, you know, yeah, I'm uh, doing some graphic design today and, uh, you know, going to work on that. In the and now, listen, let me just say this. If you are a reasonable, responsible adult and you work on your own pace, if you will, and you want to get up early or work late the night before, and get your work done so that you can do a 11 a.m. tea time, I got no problem with that. Now, understand, what I said was, that's if you get your work done, and your work done is on time, and it's excellent, and you maneuver some of your personal schedule to do that, then maybe that's what was happening. It's also very possible that the golf courses are swelling because people are like, hey, I kind of got a do-nothing boring job anyway. And... I'm not being monitored and life is short and I'm getting paid. I'm going to go play. Do I like that? No, I think it's cheating on your boss. I think it's unethical, but I mean, is it happening? You bet. Which is why you've got a lot of leaders who are very suspect and there's data. Again, you look at the golf course data. There's the data that would make, a Michael Bloomberg, and a lot of other big names. Jamie Dimon been famous at, at J.P. Morgan, uh, talking about remote work, not liking it at all. Uh, Elon Musk, famous quote, you know, when he took over Twitter. So, you know, these are hardworking people, and they want you to bring it to the same level that they bring it. I think that's, again, normal. Um, to, to, to want someone to put in the effort that you put in. Is it reasonable when you're a billionaire and, you have no life. And I mean, and you can say, all right, um, I work these hours. I expect everybody else to. No, I don't think that's reasonable. But you can see why they're suspicious and thus the tension, right? Now, on this other piece of data, there's a big divide here still. I mean, these numbers are somewhat silly. 
employees reported that they were 7.4% more productive. How do you even how do you even score that? Managers said that they believe employees were 3.5% less productive. So, why does this gap in the data, the tension that informs the data exist? Because it's out of sight, out of mind. Okay, let's say you're in a relationship and you're a little insecure and uh your boyfriend or your girlfriend goes out of town on a trip and you don't talk to him for two or three days. It's pretty normal to kind of go, wonder what's going on. I hope they're being faithful to me out there or spouse. I'm just telling you. Now, we shouldn't do that, but I'm saying that's the normal reaction. You know, same thing with parents. When I haven't heard from my kids in a couple hours, my teenagers, and they're out driving around, my mind wanders very easily and naturally to, you know, what are they doing? I don't know what they're doing. And and the same thing is true for a manager or a leader. I got 12 people working for me. I'm only seeing them once or twice a week. How do I know they're not watching Netflix and eating ice cream at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And, and by the way, you don't know and you can't know, which is why, again, as a parent, and I'm walking through this with teens, I've gotten to the point now where I go, you know what? I can't monitor it all the time. My parents never knew where I was. We didn't have devices and all this. And it's just a level of I'm going to have to trust that I've raised them right and also at the same time know they're going to make some bonehead decisions, which life will quickly teach them a lesson, and I hope it's going to be okay. I mean, that's parenting in a nutshell. Like, when they're little, you could totally control them, then you lose control and it freaks you out. All right, so that's the human condition to, to wonder. So... What managers have got to do and leaders have got to do is combat that paranoia, let's call it that, that I just unpacked, that we all deal with, and you've got to manage that and go, all right, I know that my team is checking in when I ask them to check in. I know that they are delivering results because as a manager, you should know. So while you can't know what they're doing all day, you can know are they delivering the results that you've asked them to deliver. And so you operate in what you know. I know this, I know this, and I know this, and these are measurements. This is communication that I've put in place, and that's what I know. And quite frankly, it's kind of all you need to know, isn't it? I know, I know, leaders, I know that this is hard to deal with. Uh, it's it's hard to trust this, uh, but that's what you got to do. All right, I want to pivot really quick to another story here. Uh, new headline, hybrid workers are more likely to feel burned out than fully remote workers. There's always new data coming out about this, and so it's back and forth, back and forth. I think it's very subjective, but uh, let's let's look at this. Uh, Deloitte did a study, and uh, this is a direct quote from the report. Hybrid workers are more likely to feel disconnected from on-site colleagues and say that their collaboration efforts are ineffective. They're also more likely to be distracted by non-work activities, to have difficulty accessing work files, to feel stressed and burned out, and to have a hard time prioritizing their well-being. This is according to the data. And the reason is, is these hybrid workers lack the structure of the in-office worker or the fully remote because they're back and forth between the two. Um, Jana Arbanis, 
vice chair of Deloitte's U.S. telecom, media, and entertainment sector, speaking for Deloitte on the study. She said, I do think that the lack of structure that many people who are navigating this hybrid return to work is causing some additional stress. A quarter, 25% of hybrid workers said they felt distracted and disconnected compared to their on-site colleagues. Whereas uh, only 13% of fully remote workers felt this. A quarter of hybrid workers felt there was ineffective collaboration happening compared to 9% of fully remote. So what's interesting, the numbers are negative, skewing towards the hybrid. Some days in the office, some days out, versus totally out of the office in the fully remote, remote situation. A hybrid structure does create the most satisfaction because you're getting the best of both worlds. You're enabling employees to get greater flexibility. And this is where the rub is. Every human wants more flexibility. Let's just put a different word in there. Strike flexibility and let's put freedom in there. People want more freedom. And the freedom is what is so attractive. But if you don't know how to balance the desire for freedom, it's going to end up catching you. And you're going to be more stressed out. You were created to fill a unique role in your work, and I have created a tool, a measuring tool, to measure what you do best, think of your talent, to measure what you love to do, think work that gives you great passion, and then the results that motivate you. If I I know what I do well, and I know what I love to do, and I know what results motivate me, and I put those together, talent plus passion plus mission equals purpose in work, That's where you're going to get the most meaning and have the chance to make the most money. We created a tool called the Get Clear Career Assessment, and it will help you. 15 to 18-minute process, game changer, self-awareness, which will lead to so much confidence and direction as you look to move and make something new happen in your life. So go get it, kencoleman.com slash assessment, kencoleman.com slash assessment. All right, Dan is on the line in Indianapolis, Indiana. Dan, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, Ken. How's it going? Good, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, but I got a question for you. All right. So um, I'm a landscape architect here in town, and about 18 months ago, I started a job for a pretty well-known, very successful architecture firm. Mm -hmm. Um, They win a lot of awards. They do really good work. It's just a a really great and exciting place to build a career at. Um, and I, I love the company, great benefits, great culture, but the flip side of the coin is that the team that I am part of has been really, really difficult to work with just from the very beginning. It's a, it's a specialized team. It's landscape architecture and it's the only team. So unfortunately, I'm not really able to switch teams and stay with the company. So the dilemma I'm having is that I can't decide if I should stay with the company to get the good work or if I should leave because of the team, knowing that I I may not have the same opportunities with a different company. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the team. So describe the team and your role. And what I mean by this is if, if you were telling me about football for the first time, you would say, okay, mm-hmm. well, there's a quarterback, and here's what the quarterback does, and then there's a. I want you to kind of walk me through. Uh, you know, you don't have to be super detailed, but 
give me a snapshot of the team and your role with the team. Are you leading the team or are you someone else leading you? What's the deal? So I'm not quite at the bottom of the team. I'm kind of a step up from that. Um, but we have, I'll say two team leads, um, and they both have some pretty intense, um, challenges. One of them is chronically absent and the other one is just very, very difficult to work with. And then underneath that, um, are project managers who I work with, um, to help actually get the drafting and the numbers and everything done for the projects and they so have what's their your own role? challenges too. What's your role? My my role is just as an architect. So I'm doing drafting, I'm doing a lot of uh, math, I'm doing a lot of the basic okay. uh, laying the groundwork for a project. And you love that now, but it's also setting you up to climb the ladder and this company is going to give you that opportunity if you just keep doing good work. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes, that's correct. And especially they have very interesting, challenging work, which is great, which you love. love. All right. So how are these, how are these project managers and your two leaders, one not being there, one being Mm -hmm. super intense, the project managers having whatever. My my question is, 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 and I, I don't know anything about landscape architect, but based on what you've described for me, it seems as though you can just do your thing and maybe you have to wait on some people for some things or you have to, but, but by and large, um, you aren't reliant on these people to do the drafting and the math. Am I right or wrong? That's right. But I'm given the drafting and the math and all of the work by those people. Right. So how are they affecting your ability to do your job? So when I finish all of those things, I take it to them for review and then we work through it together. Um, so I guess for the chronically absent one, it slows down the process. I'm not able to get things done in a timely manner, or I'm not given enough guidance. And then with the other one, um, he's very difficult to talk to. He can be combative and insulting and, um, is he that way to everybody? Nice person. Is he that way to everybody? (laughs) That's what I thought. So he's just a rough, gruff guy. He's, he's probably very unhappy. And so we now know it's not a Dan thing. It's a him thing. Yeah. And so to the ability, that, to the extent that you can go, you know what? I realize it's not about me, so I just have to kind of deal with it. And I just block that out, and I just go, you know what? Uh, I just tell him what he needs to know. I'll be cold back to him and give him the, give him the facts, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, how, I th- often, I think- how often has the other non-existent boss the one that's never there, how often has that uh, created a lot of uh, frustration or stress for you and he's putting you under the gun and now you're having to work crazy hours? Like, how often is that happening? Well, right now I work with him mostly, so it's it's pretty frequent that I just, I don't have the guidance or the So how does it play out? How does it play out? Well, generally, I'll he'll give me a task to do and it'll take me maybe half of the week to do I'll get it done and then I'll bring it to him and he's just not available. And then the due date comes, he hasn't reviewed it. I'm presenting it. You know, something doesn't make sense or they're not happy with it. It's things that he could have caught that he didn't. I'll say, so who's they, the client? Uh, no, the chronically absent, absent. Uh, right. So, but, but my point is, is he reviews it and then he catches it. So when you, so, so he's catching it, it's just not catching it. And then what happens? 
Well, so he's not reviewing it and he's not catching it because he's absent. Right. But I'm saying, who's who are you presenting this to to where he then goes, oh, this is a problem. <laughs> Uh, directly to a client. That's what I said. And then you said no. So that's why I'm confused. So you present something to him. He doesn't give you feedback. Then the moment comes, you guys go sit in front of the client and client's not happy with it. And, and you didn't know any better because you're new at this. And he, with the experience, he could have caught it is what you're saying. Yeah. So what does he say after that happens? Well, we haven't really talked about it. Um, How many times has this happened? Um, probably three or four times. Yeah. So, I'd say at this and, point. And, and there's been no conversation. He just in the moment goes, okay, well, we'll fix it. Yes. I have initiated conversations about it, and I'm trying to work on it as much as I can on my end. But I just, here's you know, my point I'm walking fun. through this to try to get you to understand that. This may be some frustration and some crap that you have to deal with in yeah. order to get where you want to go. And I, I guess I'm not hearing toxicity at all. I, there are times where I'll tell people, you need to leave. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we're there. I think you just have to learn how to adapt, and it's going to end up making you better. Do I think it sucks that you have to adapt to them? Yes, I do. Yeah. I really do. But do I think it's necessary to get where you want to go? I do. And so mm-hmm. I'm not willing to say that it's time for you to leave because there's not another opportunity, according to you, that would give you this kind of long-term success. Yes? Yeah. You yeah. know what I would do? I would just be a, a, a really effective nuisance with him and get it to him early. <laughs> you know, get it to him and go, hey, I haven't yeah. heard, I haven't heard, I haven't heard. Can you look at it really quick? Can I stop by? Can I find you? Can I run this by and let you look at it? Or here's another thing. Take it to the client early. Yeah. Go to the client. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> Go to the client. It's, it's not a bad option. Listen, next time he doesn't get back to you, so you got three or four days before the final pitch, go to him on the front end and go, hey, here's my first draft. I want to get your feedback. Yeah. Let the client catch the first draft. Go, great. Got it. Okay. I guess that's an area that I can... I would rather... The, that I can just take I would, Yeah, take I would rather of. the client be involved early. <laughs> Yeah. Because to me, it's problematic that you're relying on this person anyway when we don't know what the client wants. And I think this is super serving your client. You know what you do? You end up cutting him out of the mix. And by cutting him out of the mix, by the way, still send it to him. (laughs) Still send it to him. Right. Of course. And remind him. But if he doesn't review it, guess what you do? You go to the client and go, hey, I want to get your feedback on this before our final, like, I want to get your take. Am I on the right track? You know? And then they go, man, that's super serving. That's what I would do. And then for the guy who's a jerk, I just learned how to tone him out. Okay. Tune and tone out. You know what? It's not about me. I know it's not personal. Do I like it? Do I deserve it? No, no. Can I deal with it? Yep, I can deal with it because I think you can. And I think on the project managers and everything else, I mean, just be the guy who who just, you know what? You model the way by showing people what it is that you can do and you put the pressure on them, not in an ugly attitude way, but just by bringing the bringing the work. I think you stay and get better. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.